We're in John chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 31 through 38. And I've titled the message this morning, the, the Truth, The Truth Will Set You Free. The Truth Will Set You Free. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the privilege of opening your word. Lord, we do believe that, that your word is true, that your word is life, that your word is light, that your word is a lamp in the darkness. Your word is what you use, what the Holy Spirit uses to make us more like Jesus. And I pray that that would happen here, here this morning, that as your word is taught, that hearts would be changed. And God, I pray that you would help me this morning to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The truth will set you free. Free. Freedom. Freedom. We all want freedom, don't we? Who enjoys to be in bondage? Who enjoys to be in chains, right? We, we all desire freedom. We, we desire it, and, and not only do we desire it, but we'll fight for it, won't we? We'll fight for freedom. Today is the anniversary of 9-11. Today is the anniversary of the reality of an act of evil unlike anything we've seen on our, on our soil. And uh, I know that many of you that are old enough to remember, it was 21 years ago, I was 21 years old, and I remember where I was, and you can remember where you were, being glued to the television in shock over what you were watching take, take place. I remember after the first plane hit, um, you know, I'm, I'm watching, and, and I, I got up in time right after the first plane hit. I was up, and then I was up watching in time to see the second plane. There was a wide angle, and you saw it on live TV go into the second tower. And you just, we were all in shock of what was going on because freedom was under attack, and evil people motivated with evil hearts of violence to try to destroy our country, to cripple our country because of of what we stand for, the freedom that we stand for. They attacked our country, and so freedom is what we fight for. And what happened? Men and women of our country, as a result of that, stood up and signed up and went to fight for freedom. So we, we, we want freedom, we desire freedom, and oftentimes we can lose freedom. That, that's national freedom that is under attack that we witnessed 21 years ago. So we can lose freedom, but a lot of times we can idolize freedom. We can make freedom in our life this desire for freedom, we can make it an idol in, in our life, and we can chase after freedom, false freedom, in many different ways. Freedom, freedom is why nations are founded. Freedom is lost for those who break the law. And freedom in the heart is sought, but it seems is always out of the grasp of many who seek it. They're looking for freedom, looking for that inward sense of freedom. And the phrase, the truth will set you free, was not created by the internet, wasn't created by uh, 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 smart people, creative people. Jesus was the one who said that, did he not? The truth will set you free. And this is the text where Jesus makes this famous statement. People say this all the time. Politicians will say it. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And, and they don't want to talk about the truth. They just want to talk about the, about the freedom. Jesus talks about truth and freedom because they go together. True freedom can only come when true truth is received. And so this is what Jesus said in the text that we are going to read. And just to remind us of where we are, we are still in this conversation that is not going to culminate until the end of chapter 8. So we have two more weeks in chapter 8, and this 
conversation that Jesus is having at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles in the temple with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the Jews, it keeps building. The intensity keeps building. And next week, Jesus is going to look at these Pharisees and he's going to tell them that their father is Satan. How about that conversation? And then the end of next, the, the following week's message, they're, they're going to pick up stones to throw at Jesus. Wouldn't you want to throw a stone at somebody who told you that, that your father was the devil? Well, that's what takes place. So next week, we're going to, talk, we're, we're going to look at how Jesus confronts them about their heart, the darkness of their heart. But today, he's building up. He's speaking about truth. So let's look at the text. He's talking about truth. He's talking about freedom, what it means to truly be free. John 8, verses 31 through 38. We're going to unpack this here this morning. Let's read the text. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do not know, and you do, excuse me, and you do what you have heard from your father. And next week he tells them who their father is. So the main point of this text, we're going to look at this text, and the main point, if, if I was to say the main point of this message and this text would be is that people seek freedom through many lesser things, but true freedom can only come from Jesus. People seek freedom through many lesser things, but true freedom can only come from Jesus. That's the main point of this message, and we're going to unpack that in three realities from this text concerning those who find true freedom in Christ. What is true in your life as a believer as you have found true freedom in Christ? What is true for all of those who have found true freedom in Christ? Are you guys ready? Man, it is, it is like really quiet. You guys must be ready. I don't know, it just seems even more quiet than it normally does. I don't know what's, what's, what's happening here. Either y'all are paying attention or I'm just, I'm just off a little bit, but we're gonna keep going here. Okay, three realities. Here's the first one. The believer is at home in the word and the word is at home in the believer. The believer is at home in the word, and the word is at home in the believer. This is the first reality we see from the text that Jesus brings out. This will be true of those who have freedom, true freedom in Christ. Look, look back to verse 31. So Jesus said to these Jews, and anytime it says to these Jews, he's speaking about the religious leaders. So he says to the religious leaders of the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then verse 37 of the text, it says, I know you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. So one main characteristic of Jesus' ministry when he communicates about truth, one main characteristic is the exposure of true disciples versus false, false disciples. It, it's all over the Gospels. He, he confronts the reality of those who, who think that they're believers and those who who are believers, and it's throughout the Gospels. You remember in John chapter two, Jesus said this after he turned the water into wine, 
uh, verse 24, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, to those who said they believed in him, because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And so Jesus understands the heart. He, he sees down into the heart of those people who say that they're believers, but they're really not believers. Do you remember in John 6, Jesus fed the 5,000? And what, did, what, what happened the next day? They, the people that were fed woke up, and they wanted breakfast. They had gotten lunch, and they thought, well, this is a pretty good program. I want breakfast. They woke up. Where's Jesus? They saw the boats had gone to the other side of the sea. They follow. They go after Jesus, and they said, when did you come here, Jesus? And he the first thing out of his mouth to those people who were seeking him, he said, you're not seeking me because you believe what the signs say about me, which is that I'm God, right? I'm the son of God. You're not following me because you believe. You're following me because the sign of me feeding you is something you're interested in again. You want your bellies filled. This has been, this is a hallmark of the ministry of Jesus. You remember Matthew 7, Matthew 7, verses 21, one of the most terrifying sections in all the scripture. Jesus says, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name, cast out devils in your name, do many wonderful works in your name? And he says, I will testify, I I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Right, this is a characteristic of Jesus's ministry. And notice, notice what Jesus tells the Jewish leaders here in verse 31. He says, if if, again, this is the idea here. He's saying, he's saying, if you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my word. If, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If, this word if, this, this, this conjunction, it, it, it's centered around this idea of, of abiding in God, being a true disciple. So what is the relationship of the true disciple of Jesus with his word? Jesus says very straightforward, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. If you abide in my word, what does it mean to abide in the the word? It means to continue. It means to stay. It means to remain. It means to keep on. It means to persevere. So Jesus is making a clear statement in verse 31 to these religious leaders of the Jews. If you will be a true disciple of mine, you will continue. You will abide. The, The word of God will be at home in your heart, and you will be at home in the word. You will abide. You will continue. He says similar thing in verse 37. He tells them, he says, I know you're the offspring of Abraham, but you're seeking to kill me. And because you're seeking to kill me, it's proof that my word finds no place in you. True disciples abide in the word, and those who are true disciples allow the word of God to have a place in them, right? And so if you, if you combine those two pictures, Jesus is saying, we have the picture that in the life of a true disciple, the word of God is at home in them, and they are at home in the word. Where else do we see this picture of abiding in God, abiding in Christ? One of the most famous sections, we'll we'll get to it later on through our study in the Gospel of John, is John 15, starting in verse 1. Look at what what, uh, uh, Christ says about abiding in him. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes fruit. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Listen, abide in me and I in you. Abide in and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide, continue in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
he it is that bears much fruit. A true disciple will abide and will bear fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. So you cannot have fruitfulness in your life unless you abide in Christ, unless you continue in Christ and in his word. Listen to verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done to you. Did you see that picture? It's the same, Jesus is saying something very similar to these religious leaders of the Jews. He's saying, my words, if, 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 I, if you abide in my words, truly you are my disciple. And this is a picture of a true believer in Jesus Christ. One primary mark of a believer is abiding in the word. Or you can say it like this. We get into the word of God until the word of God gets in to us. We get into the word of God. We abide in the word of God until the word of God abides in us. We get in until it gets in. Does that make sense? We dig in. We abide in the word of God. A true disciple will abide in the word of God, and then the word of God will begin to abide in us. This is the picture of continuing and persevering. Jesus is saying, in short, genuine disciples do not have a surface-level relationship with the word of God. And Jesus is telling these religious leaders of the Jews, he's saying, you may understand the words of the law, but you don't understand what they mean. You may have the Torah memorized, but, but, but it's only surface level. You don't understand the heart behind why the word was written. You're missing the point because you want to kill me, because you want to destroy me. If you truly understood the word, you would receive my words. But because you don't understand, you only have a surface level understanding of the word, you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you, in you. It was here in the head, in the brain, in the understanding, in the knowledge of facts and words and laws, but it didn't abide in their, in their heart. And this is the reality of a true disciple that Jesus is pointing out. It's, it's, he's saying it's surface level in you. It's surface level. It's, it's kind of like this. It's like the difference between going to dinner with an acquaintance versus a lifelong friend. Going to dinner with an acquaintance versus a lifelong friend. And let's say that lifelong friend is a friend you haven't seen in a long time. What's it like going to dinner with a, an acquaintance? Kind of a little awkward, isn't it? Going to dinner with an acquaintance would look like this. You have to make stuff up to talk about. You ever had conversations like that? That is very difficult to get through. Because they're, they're trying to have conversation, and it's even worse whenever the person you're meeting with is not trying to, like, they're, they're not saying anything. So you feel like you've got to make up stuff to say, right? So you're, you're pulling the conversation along. You're, you're adding fuel to it, right? You're trying to get the engine going. And that's like having a conversation with somebody you don't know. They don't know you. You don't know them. Having a conversation with an acquaintance, there are lots of awkward moments of silence. When you talk with me, I, I'll just feel the silence with words, <laughs> So I, I don't like that awkwardness. It's like I got to fill it with something. It won't be very long, but it will be awkward. Having a conversation with an acquaintance is like when you're done, you breathe a sigh of relief when you get in your car. You're like, that was hard work. I'm glad that's over with. What's it like when you have dinner? You go out to eat at a restaurant with a lifelong friend that you haven't seen in a long time. Conversation flows naturally. You ever said the phrase when you hadn't, you hadn't seen somebody in a long time, you meet them up again? It's like we picked up where we left off. That's, that's having a conversation 
That's not surface level. That's deep, heartfelt conversation with somebody that you know that you're in relationship with. And what happens when you have dinner with a lifelong friend that you pick up where you left off? They have to kick you out the restaurant. That's what they have to do. You're not trying to run to the car to breathe that sigh of relief. You're sitting back. You want another cup of coffee. You want another chocolate pie. You're, you're ready to dig in, to continue to talk. And when you get in the car, you, 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 you think, oh, I, I wish we could continue. So, so the question we ask ourselves when Jesus is making this bold statement to these religious leaders of the Jews, and he's saying, you would be truly my disciples if my words would abide in you and you in my words. We have to ask ourselves, what is our relationship with the word of God? What is it like? Is our relationship with the word of God more like an acquaintance or a lifelong friend? Right? Isn't that a sobering question to ask? Right? What is our relationship like with the word of God? A true disciple has a relationship with the words of Christ like it would be when you get into the word of God. It's like you've, 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 you've got, you, you come back into conversation with your lifelong friend. God is speaking to you. His word is speaking to you. And Jesus is telling these leaders of the Jews, my word has no place in you because if it did, you wouldn't seek to kill me. So the word is at home in the life of the believer. And the believer is at home in the word. It's this idea of grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, make yourself at home. This is the relationship between a true disciple and the words of Christ. And Jesus is looking at these religious leaders who, who, who knew the word, who knew the law, who knew Moses and the law, but they didn't know him. I was listening to a song before service in my office, just worshiping, preparing to come out here. And it's the song, it's the song was the words were saying, I wanna know you. I wanna know you, not just know about you. I wanna, I wanna know you. And we can know about God. We can have so many facts and information in our head, but, but we may know about God, but, but do we know him? You can know all the all the highlights of the Bible, but, but if you miss the heart of God, then you don't really know him. And this is the picture of false disciples, and it is a picture of these Pharisees that Jesus is having this conversation with. They don't really know God, because if they really knew God, and not just about him, they would receive Christ. So many people know a lot of facts about religion, but they don't know Christ. They know facts about church and form and ritual, but they don't know Christ. And they'll take the form and the ritual, but they don't want Christ. Do we know Christ? Are we at home with Christ? Is he at home in us? So this is the first reality of those who are true disciples, who have found true freedom. Back to freedom, right? This is a picture of who has found true freedom. We are at home in the word, and the word is at home in us. Here's another reality of those who found true freedom right from the text. Secondly, the believer who's at home in the word, the word's at home in them, the believer, that believer knows the truth. That believer knows the truth. Look back to the text, John 8, 31, second half. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. So a true disciple will abide in the word. If you don't abide in the word, the word doesn't abide in you, you're not a true disciple. But if you do abide in the word and the word abides in you and you receive Christ, not just information, but Christ, you will know the truth. You will know the truth. What a profound statement that Jesus is saying. He's saying you will know the truth. And the question is, is well, what truth? The truth. The truth. You will know the truth. The ultimate truth. You know, today, in our world today, you have to define what truth is. There, there's, there's truth and then there's true truth. 
You guys know there's true truth? Right, there's fake news and there's real news and there's truth, but then there's true truth. And you gotta say true truth because there are, there's the idea in our world today that everyone has their own truth, but that can't be true. Not everyone can have their own version of the truth because there has to be something that is true. So when Jesus is saying this, this is really, I think this is the heart of what he's saying. He's saying, if you will abide in me and I in you and my words will abide in your heart and you will really receive me, you will know the truth. You'll know the truth. And here's, here's what I'll say. The only pathway to truth is in the Bible. This is the heart of what Christ is saying. The only pathway to truth is in his words. That's what he's trying to tell these religious leaders. The only pathway to truth is the Bible. Jesus, Jesus is making this shocking statement to those who in their minds understood truth. They understood the word of God. He's saying only those who abide in my words can know the truth. That's what he's saying. Only those who abide in my words can know the truth. He's looking at those Pharisees in particular who were the keepers of the law, who felt like they had the truth because they had Moses. They had the Torah, the law. He's saying, no, 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 no. Those truths in the law point to me, and unless you have me, you don't know truth. Can you imagine how shocking that was to them? The Pharisees and other leaders, they had Moses, they had the law, and Jesus is, in essence, saying this, the only way for you to know the truth is to have a deep, heartfelt, heart-level connection to Jesus, to me. That's what he's saying to them. The only way for you to know the truth, this is for us today, is to have a deep, heart-level connection to Jesus. Abide in my word and you will know the truth. You, you've, you've seen this before. Know Jesus, know truth. You know Jesus, you know truth. And what's the opposite of that? Know Jesus, know truth. Right? Believers know the truth because they know the truth. You, you know, if you're a believer here today, you, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can know and you can say and you can communicate, hey, I know the truth. I know the true truth because I know the truth. I'm not, looking, I'm not looking for answers. I have the answers. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I've, I'm, I've gone back to school. I haven't let, I let a few people kind of know privately. I've gone back to, to school. And, uh, and so I'm going to be finishing in a couple of years. And, and so I've got a little journey I've just started. We have a lot going on in our life right now. But I'm taking 12 credit hours, continuing my theological studies. And I'm in this discussion board. The discussion boards in these classes are one of the, the most, the least enjoyable parts of these classes. And then this guy on here is questioning me about, about you know, authority in preaching. And, and, and I don't know how anybody, you know, the, those people that get up and preach with authority, I'm not sure about those guys. How do they know if their interpretation is right? And, and I just like, you know, respectfully, and I just said, I mean, if we don't, if we don't have authority in preaching, what do we have? And if I can't get up here on Sunday mornings and actually believe that what I'm reading is the truth, then I'm going to close shop and get out of the ministry. I, I must preach in a way that I believe this is the truth and that this truth has implications. Wait, wait, yeah, it's good. <laughs> that this truth has implications on your life because it is the truth. I'm not here preaching just my ideas about what I think the truth means. Like, like we're trying to dig into the word so we can see what the truth is. And if it really is the truth, then it's more than just a sermon I'm preaching, more than just a nice talk. It's the truth that presses on the hearts of the hearers. And 
tells us what we're responsible for, tells us who God is and what he's done in our life, and it's the truth. Believers know the truth because they know the truth. Jesus said this in John 14, 5 through 6. Jesus spoke with authority, didn't he? Because he was the truth. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And Jesus had told him that he's going away. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, okay, let me speak clearly to you, Thomas. I'm going your way. Yes, physically, I will go away. But here's what I'm really about. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says he is the truth. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He is truth personified. Truth has its center in Jesus. Truth has its center in Christ. You know, humanity instinct, instinctively searches for meaning and answers, don't they? Just look around our world. If you look at all the chaos that goes on around in our world, it's, it's ultimately, yes, it is, a, it is a demonstration of the evil nature of the heart of man. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart of man is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? Yes, that is true. But at, at the heart, under the surface of the, the manifestation of the evil nature of the heart of man, is a search for meaning and purpose. People who act out in evil ways, it's because, it's because they have completely lost their way. And they've given themselves over to their evil nature. By God's grace, Christ has won our heart. And now through the power of the Spirit, we can, we can, we can, we can crucify the deeds of the flesh, Right? But humanity instinctively searches for meaning and answers. We see it all around. They, they search for answers. And this broken, sin-cursed world leaves people with many questions. The answers become obvious and clear once we know the key. Jesus is the key. Once we know the key. Have you ever taken an open book test before? <laughs> Didn't you love those in school, the open book test? I, I, back to, I don't know why this just come back in my mind, back to my, my schooling that I'm in, that they, they, they're giving these quizzes and you have unlimited amount of time to take the quizzes, at least in this first class. I'm like, I took the quiz the first time, nervous, and it says, attempt number two. <laughs> oh, great, attempt number two. I got 100 on the test. But you ever taken a, an open book test? And you get nervous because you can't find the answers, and then you realize at the end of the test, oh, there was an answer key in the back of the book. It was obvious. You, you had to get to the key, right? Jesus is the key. He is the center of truth of what our world is looking for. So the question is, is this obvious truth, it escapes people today everywhere. They're just escaping the truth everywhere. The, 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 the true truth, they're escaping everywhere. Why is that? Well, true truth tells us why. Romans 1. Why do people escape the obvious truth of God and of Christ? Romans 1 tells us. It tells us that they suppress that truth in unrighteousness. Because that true truth of who Christ is convicts them of the, of the lifestyle that they're living, and so they suppress that truth in their unrighteousness. So how does this, how does this meet our world here today? The question we have to ask ourselves is, is do, we, do we know him? Do we know Christ? Do we know him? Or are we like the world here today? Are we following the new age guru? You guys heard of D, D, Deepak Chopra? D, Deepak Chopra. He's a new age guru guy. In a 2014 blog, he said this, all belief is a cover up for insecurity. All belief, and, and when you say belief, it means you believe something is true, right? So let's break down his statement here. All belief 
If I believe in something, I believe it's true. All belief is a cover-up for insecurity. So what is Deepak saying? He's, he's saying that life is not about what we believe, but about what we experience to deal with our insecurities. Right? Instinctively, we know there has to be more. We're looking for truth, and I, we feel insecure and depressed and, ang- and, and anxious. And, and so, so we seek to find experiences that will deal with our insecurities, And so people will drown themselves in experiences to avoid the obvious realities of life and death, their own mortality. And God has put the inward witness of the truth inside of every person. So what will we do about that? What is our response? My my question to all of us here today is, is, have you come to know him? Do you know him today? Do you just know about him and the facts about him? You may even know his word. You may be able to define justification and sanctification and glorification, and you may be able to find the finer points of theology and doctrine, but do you know him? Do you desire to be in a relationship with him? Do you know the truth personified? So these are the first couple of realities that are true in the heart of those who are true disciples. True disciples are at home in the word, and they abide in the word. They continue. They persevere in the truth. True disciples. And secondly, they know the truth. They know the truth because they know, they know him. They know Christ. And lastly, from our text here in John 8, here's the third reality of those who have been set free, those who are free, those who have found freedom. The truth shall set you free, right? They abide in the word. The word is at home in them, and they know the truth. And thirdly, the truth sets the captives free, and the captives become sons. The truth sets the captives free, and the captives become sons. Sons, look back at the text. You will know the truth, and verse 32, and the truth will set you free. They answered him. Okay, let's talk about freedom. They said, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Isn't it amazing what these Jewish leaders say in response to Jesus saying that the truth will set them free? Did you catch what they said there? Their response to Jesus saying that a true disciple will be free, will know the truth, and their truth will set them free. They said, freedom, slavery. Hey, we've never been enslaved to anyone. What? What? Like, seriously, if you forgot your heritage and your legacy as the nation of Israel? I mean, never enslaved to anyone? The whole book of Exodus is about their freedom from slavery. And the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years after Moses was sent by God to set them free from slavery in Egypt. What about this? The Jews have been enslaved by seven nations. We see that throughout the story and the, the journey through the book of Judges. Syria and Babylon, two countries that oppressed and held captive the people of God from the northern tribes and the southern tribes. And at the very moment of this conversation, the mighty Romans were oppressing the nation. How are you saying we're we're not free? We've never been enslaved to anyone. They're missing the point, aren't they? And this is what they always do. There isn't a point that Jesus is making here, but even in their ignorance, their pride comes through, doesn't it? Isn't that true? Just a little sidebar there. We, are, we, are, we have a high capacity to ignore reality, and I've said that before a few weeks ago. 
we will deny reality. Our pride will shine through. Oh, I've never struggled with that, or I never will struggle with that, or that, I don't have that issue. Everyone sees you have the issue. Everyone knew they were enslaved for, for many, 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 many years. The pattern of their history, but pride finds its way through. So, so what kind of freedom is Jesus talking about here? They're thinking physical, and I think they're, they're deflecting. What kind of freedom is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual freedom, eternal freedom, not a freedom based upon earthly circumstances. He's talking about something inward, not external, an inward freedom, a true freedom. And isn't that what Jesus has been saying in this whole conversation? He's been making these powerful truth claims. He's trying to get these people, these religious leaders of the Jews and those that are listening, those that are in the temple, to see him for who he is. And what has he said so far? He's pointing to them to the greater truth concerning himself. He said, I am the living water. I'm the living water. I am the light of the world. And then he says this, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is what he's saying to them. In essence, he's saying, you think you are free because you are no longer in physical chains. But you are enslaved to the sin of unbelief because my word has no place in you. He's trying to get them to see that they truly are still enslaved. Isn't that what you have to do to somebody who's deceived? You have to get them to really see that they are deceived. And he's saying, you truly are still enslaved because my words have no place in you. And this is what he means when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus is telling them in this statement, you are enslaved to sin. This is who, this is who you're still enslaved to. You think, you think that Egypt is not enslaving you, Babylon's not enslaving you, Assyria is not enslaving you. We have been, never been enslaved to anyone. I'm saying you're enslaved to sin. And what is the sin that they were enslaved to? It's the sin. You know, there's the truth and, and true truth. Well, there is a the sin. There is the ultimate sin. What is the ultimate sin? The highest sin that anyone could, could commit. It's the sin of unbelief in Jesus Christ. And this is what he's pointing them to. If you're enslaved to sin, the sin of unbelief, then you truly still are in slavery. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And he's saying, he's saying, if you will let me set you free, you will truly be free indeed. You think you're truly free because you're not in bondage physically. But if you will let me free you, you will truly be free indeed. You will be truly free. Freedom that really matters. Freedom that cannot be overcome by the slave master's control. It's a freedom that they didn't have. The freedom that they didn't have. Look back at verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. Listen to this. Listen, listen. The son remains forever. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that slaves have no rights in the house. Sons have rights. Follow me here. He's telling these, these people that are of the, the heritage and the bloodline of Abraham, he's saying slaves have no rights. Sons have rights. He's saying to these descendants of Abraham, you think you are no longer slaves and that you are in the house and have all the birthrights because of bloodline. Follow me. But I am telling you, you are not in the house because you do not believe like Abraham believed. Because you don't believe like Abraham believed, you are actually still enslaved. Not to human masters, but to the master of sin. Do you get that? 
This is what he's moving to. This is what he's moving them towards. Where else do we see this picture of sonship and slavery and freedom and adoption? We, we read it in our scripture reading this morning, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen? This is the true freedom that Christ offers. What about the illustrative story of the prodigal son? We, 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 we see that, right? The son had left the father's house to give me my inheritance, and he goes and he, he wastes all of the inheritance on, on, on sinful living, and he's eating. He's about to take the slop from the pigs. He had wasted all of his money. He's about to take the slop from the pigs, and he's, he's bringing it to his mouth. And in that moment, he realizes the slaves eat better than me. The slaves have air conditioning. The slaves have a nice memory foam mattress. And I'm sleeping with the pigs about to eat their food. The slaves, the servants have better than me. He came to his senses. He says, I got to go back. I don't know if my father will receive me back as a son, but I've got to go back and beg for his forgiveness. And we see the conclusion of that in Luke 15. The son's giving the speech. The son who had become a slave to sin. The son who had become a slave to sin is giving his speech on the way back to the father's house. And he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the, the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead. He was enslaved to sin. But he's alive again. He was lost and he is found, and they began to celebrate. Amen? Isn't this the point of what Jesus is saying here? These religious leaders. I want a relationship with you. I am the way to true sonship, to be adopted into the family of God. And, and you think you know and you think you understand and you're counting on your heritage and your bloodline and your religious experience and understanding and knowledge and your good works. And, and I'm saying it's not about that. It's about sonship. It's about being a son. And the only way to be a son and to not be a slave is that you would believe my words. That your words would, uh, that my words would abide in you and you would truly abide in my words, that you would truly know me. Sonship. That's Christianity. Jesus came to offer freedom from the controlling power of Satan. Then what the gospel say? Jesus came to destroy the power of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the controlling power of Satan. The controlling power of Satan. Some of you here today, you're, you're, you're in slavery. You're in slavery to many different things. You're in bondage to many different things. Jesus came to destroy the controlling power of Satan. It's like, it's like the story of Jack and Sally. You guys ever met Jack and Sally? You probably didn't because this is a made-up story. Jack and Sally are two little kids, and they went to their grandparents' house. And Jack and Sally are playing in the backyard, and Jack has a slingshot. 
and he's got a, a rock in the slingshot, and he's getting ready to shoot the slingshot, and he shoots it, and he accidentally hits one of his dad's chickens in the head. And the chicken falls over and dies. <laughs> and Jack begs Sally, says, Sally, please, you cannot tell dad, Grandpa that I killed one of his chickens. And so Sally agrees, okay, Jack, I, I won't tell, I won't say anything. So Jack and Sally get called back into the house, and and Grandma welcomes them and says, okay, we have dinner in a little bit, but before we have dinner, we got some chores that we have to do. And so the, the dishes were left over from last night. We didn't get to wash them. So, so, so who would like to volunteer to wash some dishes? And Sally speaks up and says, oh, Grandma, Jack loves to wash dishes. I think he's the best dishwasher on the planet. He loves to wash dishes. And Jack says, yeah, Grandma, I love to wash dishes. Jack gets busy washing the dishes, and after they're done washing dishes, the grandma says, hey, Jack, Sally, we got some vacuuming we got to do. And Sally looks over at Jack, kind of gives a little wink and says, Grandma Jack loves to vacuum, don't you, Jack? And Jack kind of grits his teeth a little bit and says, yes, Grandma, I love to vacuum, the best vacuumer ever. You got one more chore left to do some dusting, and you guys get the point, right? Jack loves to dust, Grandma, and Jack's really biting it right there, and he goes and he dusts, and after all of that, after dinner, they sit down, and Grandpa pulls Jack aside by himself, and he says this to Jack. He says, let me tell you something, Jack. I know about the chicken. It's actually not the chicken. It's the duck. <laughs> it's not going to work if I keep saying chicken. It's the duck. <laughs> I know about the duck. It was a duck that got killed. He said, Jack, I know about the duck. I didn't say anything because I wanted to see, listen, I didn't say anything because I wanted to see how long you were going to let Sally make you her slave. How long were you going to let Sally make you her slave? All you had to do to keep her from holding you hostage was to tell me what you have done. That's it. And here's what I'll say. God knows you've killed the duck. You know the truth is? We've all killed the duck. We've all killed the duck. We're all guilty. We're all sinful. We all have been enslaved to various passions. Isn't that what Titus chapter 3 says? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Jack, I know you killed the duck. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs, sons and daughters, according to the hope of eternal life. Amen? By his grace, we might become heirs. That's what it truly means to be free. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. No longer slave to sin, no longer slave to condemnation. Living in the light, confessing, living in the open, truly saved by grace. You know, John Wesley, many of you have heard of John Wesley. As we conclude here, we're going to wrap up. As we conclude, John Wesley, he lived in the 1700s in England and was a pastor whose influence birthed the Methodist church movement. 
And John, John Wesley, when he was a young man, after his postgraduate days, he and his friends started what they called the Holy Club. The Holy Club. A pretty bold statement, right? We're going to start a club and we're going to call it the Holy Club. So they start a holy club, and this was their focus of their holy club. They had a strict adherence to God's law. Here's what they did. They observed the Sabbath on Saturday and the Lord's Day on Sunday. They said, we're going to make sure that we're observing the law. And so we're going to, we're going to observe the Saturday. We're going to observe the Sabbath on Saturday, and we're going to go to church on Sunday. They met the needs of the homeless and the orphans. They really sought to meet the needs of the poor and the homeless. They read scripture. They fasted. They prayed. They kept up with their spiritual disciplines. They were rigorous in their observance of God's commands, the holy club. They prided themselves in being holy in the holy club. And John Wesley would later say that all of this was done while being unconverted. His testimony is that all that was done by being unconverted. Listen to the words of John Wesley. We were bound in the chains of our own self-righteous religion and not fully trusting Christ. We came to trust in Christ, in Christ only for salvation. Before I had the faith of a slave and not a son. I had the faith of a slave because I was in bondage to the law. I did not have the experience of the freedom of being a son. That's the reality of what it truly means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer enslaved to self-righteousness. We are no longer a slave, but we are sons and daughters of God. Romans 8 says this, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. So what was, what was the main point of this message? Let's see if I did a good job. Let's go back to our main point. People seek freedom through many lesser things, but true freedom can only come from Jesus. And if Jesus sets you free, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen? If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Let's close and sing. We'll sing and then I'll come up and I'll close us out in prayer. But we thank you that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We can be your children through faith in your son and what he did for us on the cross. And we can be free from sin. We no longer have to be enslaved to sin. We can be a son and an heir, an heir according to the promise, the promise of eternal life, the promise of redemption. God, we thank you for that freedom. We are not slaves, but we're sons. I pray a blessing over all your people here today. You bless them as they go and spend time with their family here today. Remind us of who we are in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. See you next week.